Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Oh, hey, friends. Welcome back to the Spark Parade. I am, as ever, Adam Unz. Coming up on this week's episode, I will be talking to Alex Marins. He is a musician, a good one, and his latest project is called Dee Dee Walker. Their debut EP is out now. Stream it immediately after you finish listening to this episode, please. Um, the conversation I had with Alex is a special one for me because Alex wanted to talk about Prince, who is one of the artists who means the most to me. Um, I grew up in the Twin Cities, and Prince was a huge part of my life when I was growing up. So full disclosure, this is not the last time you will hear about Prince on the Spark Parade. In our conversation, Alex and I talk a little bit about the tremendous sadness we both experienced when Prince died. So I wanted to start the show by talking about the very specific grief that comes when our favorite artists die. That kind of grief was my first experience with grief. I was lucky enough to be in my mid-twenties before anyone I actually knew died. And until then, I'd only grieved for people I'd never met. In fact, my first experiences with that kind of grief were for people who died before I was born. I was a sensitive little sausage as a child, and I used to feel so sad listening to Otis Redding and Patsy Cline and Buddy Holly and thinking about these amazing artists being cut down in their prime. And then when Aaliyah died, it was the worst sadness I'd ever felt. And then after people very close to me died and I knew grief firsthand, the deaths of people who were musical touchstones in my life became even more emotionally complex for me. Amy Winehouse released Back to Black in the UK during the year in which my dad's illness progressed rapidly and he died. And I listened to that album obsessively. So when she got sick... I was rooting for her to recover because, I don't know, I needed something good to come out of that terrible time. And I was devastated when she died, not just because I loved her music, but because she was so closely linked to the worst year of my life. And her death made all of those memories and all those emotions come flooding back to the surface. And then when Prince died, fuck. <laughs> That's my whole childhood, my whole life. He was and is wrapped up in all of it. And that's another connection to my dad. My dad is the person who really taught me to love music. And listening to Prince now is so sad for me. Because he was a genius, because his music meant everything to me, 
but also because listening to his albums reminds me of record shopping with my dad at Electric Fetus in Minneapolis and listening to the stuff we'd bought together when we got home. Missing Prince and David Bowie and Aretha is all tied up in my closest, most personal grief now. And that's why music is so powerful. It becomes a part of your story as much as any of the events in your life. Losing your favorite musicians may not be as horrific as losing your family members, but it's still losing a part of your story. Sorry for getting all emotion, guys, right at the beginning of the episode. Let's lighten the tone up a little bit, shall we? Here comes my chat with Alex Marins. So we should talk about Prince. I feel like in the uh, interest of full disclosure, I should mention that uh, I am absolutely obsessed with Prince. And it's like, you know, sometimes people will talk about things that either I I don't know about or that I'm kind of like, oh, that's what you like. Cool. Good for you. And try to just, you know, be be cool. Yeah. Find something that I can relate to about it. But this is... um, yeah, you know, I grew up in the Twin Cities. I, I've, I he he is uh, he is my life, so I can't really be very uh, impartial here. I'm really but, glad uh, I have my cheat sheet now. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know, stay on it's, it, it is. This is about you more <laughs> well, than more than uh, anything else. So uh, I will try to restrain myself from uh, railroading. Please, please don't. It's it's only going to help. So mm-hmm. I guess the way that I usually kind of get into things is just. I mean, do you? He he was around before you were born, before right. I was born. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like you know he came onto the scene when right. uh, when you would have been aware or alive. Right. But uh, do you remember what turned you on to his music, or like how you how do you have early memories of hearing his music? Well, so he was the first solo artist that I found and like took on his my own like this is i'm i'm claiming this as a part of my life now like mm-hmm. he was the first artist that i found without like my parents like early on like my parents like had me on like like al green was my guy like handed down to me by mm-hmm. my parents but he was a he was the first one that i kind of found and you know solo artist cuz the the beatles i found independent of my parents for whatever reason, they weren't really playing the Beatles in the house, but yeah, Prince was the first artist that I came to without any sort of, it wasn't in my, my world of like just my experience life of hearing music in the house as you're growing up, you hear like certain, certain musicians and that kind of like informs your kind of your DNA and your art artist makeup or whatever it is. But, but Prince was the first one outside of that where mm-hmm. I was like, what? where I have no reference point, you know? Yeah. And I think I honestly, the first, I mean, it was purple rain was the first sort of, that was my first intro was watching that movie. That was the first Mm -hmm. intro that I had to that. Yeah. That's a a really exciting feeling. Like when you're a kid and you, even if it's somebody who's hugely famous, who, you know, you know that millions and millions of other people love, it makes it feel like it's your secret thing that, you know, it's when you're kind of branching out from your parents' tastes for the first time or one of the first times. Right. It's like really exciting. Yeah. When I discovered, when I, when I watched the film, it was like right around when I called it film because (laughs) I I actually consider it. It's like fine film. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
did they all take acting classes for for that movie? I think they did. I don't think it super. I don't think it super helped them. No. <laughs> I mean, no. just some of those deliveries are are just phenomenally bad. Uh, I saw recently. I saw uh, or not that recently. I saw uh, Morris Day. Like ah. a couple years ago, and he was playing the House of Blues at Times Square, and I was just like, I gotta, I gotta see this. I gotta see the villain from Purple Rain do his thing. And uh, Jerome was there. Was that at BB uh, King's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some people who went to that too. Yeah, yeah. The time was like a Prince side project. He wrote all the songs yeah, for the everything. time and played a lot of the instruments on their records. Right, right. Just thinking about that and the other things that he tried to do, like, I, I don't know if you know but about If I Was Your Girlfriend, that that was supposed to be part of an album where he was singing as a woman and he was going to play a character named Camille. This eight track record that he was going to release and not mention his name at all and just pretend that it was like a, a new artist. And then it that's all an fell incredible apart. idea. Yeah. I might I might take that. Yeah, yeah. I might take that for the road. I generally I I tend to relate to female singers more than male singers in general and i think prince strikes that healthy balance of androgyny mm-hmm. and just you know sexual like freedom and openness that i just i don't know what it is it's like the falsetto or the just like some being more like directly connected to something that like that just resonates musically and that particular genius of being somebody who could play dozens of instruments would write play all those instruments on his albums, produce, do everything. Right. And in addition to that, had the ability to sing in like four different registers yeah. and make himself sound completely different from song to song. Yeah. He he went on a, I think it was one of his first television appearances and the, the host asked him how many instruments he played. And he like, he takes a minute and you see his cogs turning and just like the smirk, like subtle flash and... It's just like a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Like the, it's like, I can't name you more than 40 instruments, like really thinking about it. Right. He said a thousand. Yeah. The, the first album that he did everything with, you know, he played all the instruments on the album. He yeah. produced it. He did everything. He had complete, like he signed his deal with Warner with complete creative control for the first three albums. Right. And there are at least 27 instruments on that album. So yeah. like that's pretty mind boggling. Yeah. And he taught himself how to play all of them. It's insane. You talked about that first three-record deal and him going from the first record to the third record and just seeing that, just seeing the jump. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like those first three records for any artist um, is what you hope to see in a, an artist with longevity is that just the the quantum leap from the first to second to third album. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he he came out of the gate on that first record, from what I understand, and he he started playing live concerts and whatnot. And I think it was such a I don't know who felt it was a boring show if it was him or the label or whoever else, but they decided not to tour for like a, the next record and a half or something, or just mm-hmm. there was a cycle or part of a cycle where they were like, this show needs to be completely different total overhaul and that's that's i think when he kind of made the choice to 
hypersexualize and strip the binary gender identity stuff and along with all this clothes <laughs> and the yeah. clothes yeah <laughs> came out strong with that cod piece i mean yeah but i mean it it captured something in it and it, mm. the music was speaking in that language already and he i think he recognized the entertainment element of the true art that he was making and how to make that marriage happen and how to you know how to bring together the entertainment world art world and the expressive, you know, just what he was trying to communicate through all of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the baseline humanity and, and romantics and just the life stuff that he was able to communicate. Mm-hmm. And making this, like, absolutely brilliant music and then having the foresight to, to be able to say, I just need to be as freaky as possible. Yeah. And he knew how to get noticed. Yeah. And I think it's a it's a visual aid for the music, you're mm-hmm. like, wow, this is what this music looks like. And it's, I think it's such an important thing, you know, when you're making music to make sure there's a 360 view for people. Purple Rain's incredible because he created an alternate universe for this music to live in, where he built a world for the music to live in, like, a, like physical spaces and um, and these characters that they weren't even carried. It was his band, you know, mm-hmm. he's like he said we're gonna blow all this stuff out and i think one of the coolest parts for me about connecting you know with the with the movie in general is that but also what he communicates in being an artist and a young artist and the struggles and like how ridiculous it all is through you know the flash and the flair and the the lead singer ego and all that and Mm -hmm. you know able to see the comedy in it but also to see just how visceral and and tragic that can be and you go behind the scenes and it's back to his house and there's trouble at home and mm-hmm. you know there's just like he really he created this entire universe for this incredible record to to live in and i just i, I always think that's something to aspire to is is to make it all encompassing make you completely forget where you are and disorient you and rewire you and in the moment you're hearing it, you know, mm-hmm. that from front to back on one listen, on one view, he's holding your hand through it. He's your best friend showing you this world and telling you these secrets that you had never heard before mm-hmm. and that it changes your life. Yeah. And in some ways it's like this very realistic, uh, look into being a musician in Minneapolis and, you know, setting big chunks of it in first Ave, which is a real club that he was playing in. And, uh, iconic club yeah and having all of his the musicians who he works with around him but still heightening things and it's like having this kind of ridiculous battle of the bands and all of the kind of ridiculous stuff with apollonia in it that's like one song sets yeah 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 exactly <laughs> but still yeah absolutely brilliant and just such a an amazing album that alone the those songs that collection of songs is an incredible body of work yeah do you remember where you saw that movie for the first time i do i i started playing music i started wanting to be in a band in eighth eighth grade and it was because i moved when i was in second grade to a new place and i my best friend was in the town before it but i found out in eighth grade we stayed in touch and found out that he and some buds had started this band that was the reason I wanted to start playing music and they were kind of a mainstay in the Connecticut music scene. <laughs> it's not Minneapolis, but uh, <laughs> they, they stayed a band 
to the point that they actually moved into a house together. But yeah, it was at their place and they they put the they put the movie on and they had written a song called uh That Ain't Lake Minnetonka. And uh <laughs> And it's a great song. It's really, yeah. really great. The band the band was called The Smirk with a Y. They didn't they didn't do great with the with the band name, but the music itself was just like changed my life similarly to how how Prince did. But I was like, yeah, what is that? What and what is going on with that song? It's like this love song where there's you're like tricking this girl. Wait, what's happening? And they're like, oh, it's you, okay. You you need to sit down. And they they put the movie on it. And just I couldn't believe it. And uh, yeah, I mean just. That was the moment that I really, I really started paying attention to everything that he was doing. I mean, that era is particularly for me. Like I, you know, I have specific songs and there are some other albums that I have a huge appreciation for, like definitely across his whole career up until the mid nineties, I'd say, but Purple Rain, uh, Around the World in a Day, Under the Cherry Moon, or Parade, actually, yeah. what it's called. But, um, those three in particular, sure. Really, stick out for me yeah i think dirty mind 1999 sign of the times and and purple rain were probably like really up there there there's one performance and i i'm I'm not sure if it was a movie award uh show like like oscars or golden globes or if it was um grammys but but he did he performed uh purple rain like right when the movie had come out Mm -hmm. and I mean, I'm like the crowd was just like screaming, like mm-hmm. Beatles level, Bieber level screaming. But I mean, but I mean, the perfection in the performance was just phenomenal. I mean, equal equal to the recording. He worked himself that hard. He worked everyone else in the groups he put together that hard. I mean, he just that was the only thing that was acceptable because I think he he understood when music transcends its it's because it's perfect. I mean, mm-hmm. But also yeah. like effortless perfection. Effortless. Like expecting, and I, I know that was the expectation he had of the musicians that he worked with as well, but it's like you have to look like you're having the time of your life, but if you fuck up even a tiny bit, I'm going to know. Yeah. I, um, I was in a play for a couple of years when I was a kid um, yeah. with uh, that was directed by a guy named J.D. Steele, who um, the Steeles are like a family of singers that are uh famous in in minnesota and they did a lot of uh backing vocals on prince albums and he would tell stories about like musicians making a mistake while they're playing with him knowing they'd made a mistake and he would just like keep playing and look back at them and just give them this look that was like i i see you i know what you just did and they he'd get you know give them tons of shit afterwards yeah um but yeah I mean, you know, just like when when he apparently when he got a hold of a of a, a camcorder, <laughs> the band was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, and he loved it. He he apparently loved the camcorder because you know he was like, "Oh my god, this is so great! I can see every second and moment <laughs> without playing. Like I can step back and go and watch everything and correct everything." And he he did, yeah. <laughs> you know. He, I think he put he put all the band members through you know their fair share of exercises to make sure it was perfect. And I think I think going back to those recordings and going back to those live performances, you 
I just think as a young as a young artist, there's so much you can learn and take away from him. Not in terms of like, oh, ha- yeah, he did that cool production trick at the beginning of the song, or he he used this chord progression, or he was playing with with that uh, drum machine, or or whatever it was. Like, but I think just you know looking at his at his freedom of expression, and and just you know that's such a valuable such a valuable insight to to be able to see an artist that looking at their surroundings and what else was being done at the time you know when purple rain came out graceland by paul simon came Mm -hmm. out yeah i you could not you could not find two different more different sounding records from each other coming out in the same year and like with such different aspirations like one is like it's just i mean chasm of of difference there but seeing a world of music around this artist and seeing, you know, almost a reckless abandon that like, Oh, I'm going to make a lo-fi record and that's going to, you know, purple rain's a lo-fi record. You listen Mm. to Graceland and you're like, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds very expensive. Yeah. And with Prince, you don't even, you know, that doesn't even cross your mind. Like, Oh, this production is like, like what, what do you mean money? This record just, has always existed through time and space because right. it sounds because it is what it is anyway yeah i think for for any young artist like and you know for me I, I go back and i go back and i listen and i watch and i just try and soak in that feeling that that i get from him like without trying to overanalyze it or figure out how to do any of that and i i have tried to figure out how to do any of that but i don't put it into my music or i i don't actively try it's just taking that feeling and trying to through your own dna that's like at your core like trying to give back that feeling to someone else and Mm -hmm. you know for me like especially just like touring with other bands and playing my music for people or other people's music for people like human human connections become like the most important lesson for me in terms of you know outside of the ego of like becoming a big artist or successful artist is um you know giving giving someone that giving someone Mm -hmm. giving a group of what all my favorite artists gave gave me yeah and you know Jimi hendrix was the first artist that i heard that gave me that feeling that when i'm at my best on stage that it takes me to that place where I know that the audience is feeling the other end of that. That's, that's what I try and give back. And so finding Prince later on and having a better grasp on that feeling and kind of seeing this like fully formed and realized like entire world that he'd built. Whereas, you know, someone like Hendrix, he's like in a world that's built, like it's the flower power movement. Like Mm -hmm. it's the sixties, like that, that just was there. Like no one, constructed that and right. he kind of he happened into it and he found his thing but i mean prince took that and he said yeah those parts are cool and now i'm going to build this completely other warped reality around that mm-hmm. um something that was also always evolving like always you know yeah making a conscious effort to really change his style and um have a you know, all, always the the aesthetic always had a, a through line. Like, sure, it was always very him. Yeah, but yeah, constantly changing, constantly evolving. Yeah, I think I think he, I think Prince and and Bowie always did a a pretty 
a really amazing job of of building those worlds and communicating it and doing it in you know doing it in an artistic way that didn't feel trite or lowering their vision to meet a common denominator you know expecting you know expecting out of their listener the ability to grow mm-hmm. you know and grow and meet meet them where they were you know? yeah and i think i think that's that's an, an amazing thing to to kind of throw away your concept or idea of like in the big picture does this does this fit in you know and yeah. just putting that aside and saying i i trust i trust people you know yeah. i believe in people to to meet me where i am you know yeah and i think that's why both of them dying whatever six months apart it's just like each time a total knife in the heart when you when you have somebody who in some ways is a totally enigmatic and keeps a lot you know in in some ways keeps their cards close to their chest sure but in other ways you feel like you know them i mean it's the weird thing about celebrity or you know you you feel like they're a huge part of your life yeah and yeah just like devastating when both of them died really and and like so i don't know if it's like unexpected because i didn't know how sick bowie was and i didn't know what kind of you know shape prince was with doing drugs and stuff but um that having them die at times that i wasn't expecting sure but also just they were two people who I, you know, death is inevitable. Everybody knows that everybody's sure, going to die, sure. but yeah, you just yeah. kind of felt like maybe these guys get a pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anyone would, I mean, really, Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, the idea of, you know, an artist holding your hand and walking you into this new place and then telling, telling you all, all their secrets. And like, that's, you know, it's one thing to, go see the concert live and you know connect with all these people who feel their version of what this artist is feeling but when you're by yourself and and listening to that like you know that's that's your best friend you know like Mm -hmm. they're they've literally bared their soul to you and created this world for you to join in with and yeah there's no there's no surprise that when for me that when my favorite artists pass i feel it as a best friend dying i mean mm-hmm. there's like that's i think when you're given a feeling like that you know it it rivals and matches you know any romantic relationship you right. could have or any close connection with a family member it just i mean it's just the it speaks to the power of of music in general you know it just yeah. it it it's it's pretty hard to explain why or how or how deep those connections go but um but they're they're super real for sure yeah but yeah, Bowie did a great job of of keeping that pretty close to the chest. Yeah. I mean no one yeah. no one knew. Just like his, you know, the very, very closest people in his life and that's it. Yeah. And yeah. also just like that last album fucking just He really went slayed there. me. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, I mean really he he did not shy away. Yeah. I mean, which is again, it's like you can't you can't as an artist uh shy away from your own your own story or the your own world that you need to build that because as an artist you i think i think one of the goals is like creating a world you want to live in because you know so many artists feel kind of 
outside or like kind of disconnected or, or, you know, that art creating and putting out those songs and then getting that feedback and like, you know, going out to a show and seeing that reaction or like, Mm -hmm. um, that you've in some small way you have altered the world with your music could be a very small, you know, part of the world, but it's, I think it's important for artists to always get that out. That's why they do it. It's because Mm -hmm. it can't be inside of you. You have to like, you know, you have to put it out, but yeah. Um, always, uh, always look up to, to Prince as kind of that, just that golden standard for an artist that's pushing and, you know, not accepting the norms and, Mm -hmm. The day he passed, I <laughs> I was on tour, uh, and we we're actually playing my hometown mm-hmm. venue, where I first saw the band that first showed me Purple Rain. Oh God! <laughs> and I woke up on the tour bus to like seven texts from people like. I got texts from people in Michigan and like Florida. I mean, it didn't, didn't matter where I, j- I was just yeah. like, what is happening? And they're, they all just said, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they talk about Prince a lot. Yeah. And, um, and I, I cried five times that day. Yeah. I mean, I just, I like, I also just the, the place where I was, it just like, mm. it had to be on that day. Yeah. Um, in my hometown, like at the venue where I first started seeing live music and this band that, you know, changed my life and introduced me to Prince. But I, it kind of actually felt like, of course, uh, yeah. it's the only place I could be. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Ending yeah. it dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On that cheery note. Um, you can splice this yeah. end half. No, no, no. That's all, all going all we, we got. need the death and destruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I know you have to head off so um, we can wrap this up. But well, uh, 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 how do the kids find you if they want to find you? Um, so Instagram is really the main social platform. Um, and it's just backslash dd walker nyc dd walker nyc and then um on spotify and apple music um you just you know go to the search bar and dd walker and there i am all right well thank you very much for talking to me thanks for having me it's Uh, been awesome yeah what a guy right thanks again to alex please check out his music it is great Got a little emotion there at the end, too. Sorry that I promised a lighter tone and then slapped you with feelings at the end. Now, it is time for my arts recommendations of the week. I need to think of a catchier name for this segment, so suggestions welcome. Throw them at me on social media. Seriously. So, this week, I've been listening to Rosie Lowe. Um, She is an English singer. Her voice is really distinctive. I loved her debut album, and she recently put out a single called Birdsong. It's pretty funky. It's got a great bass line. I dig it. Uh, Is that an enticing enough description? Anyway, check it out. I've also been watching the final season of Veep, which has just started on HBO, and it is so fucking funny. Like, can't breathe, tears streaming down my face funny, and I need that in my life. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is a comic genius. Her timing is just impeccable. 
So watch it. Okay, that's it. Follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Uh, support the show with a little financial love on the website if you so desire. Support the show with a little emotional love by rating, reviewing, and telling all of your friends about it and your relatives and the stranger sitting way too close to you on the train. In short, tell everyone. All right, that's enough. Till next time. Bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.